So the other day I was watching a YouTube uh, or an Instagram video of a young man and he was busy doing a, a recipe. He was busy making what he calls buddies nachos. And when I say a young man, he's probably maybe 11, 12 years old. And he shares on the process of how he makes his nachos. And you look at this little kid and he, he t speaks about taking the braising like the, 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 the vegetables. And he says, this is how you see what it is. And he takes, talks about cross-cutting and cutting the vegetables. And he uses all these terms. And he really takes you through this process of the recipe. And he's using peppers. And he's showing you how to steam the peppers so you can peel them easily. And really a phenomenal young chef. But the reason we watched him is because his dad is Jamie Oliver. So this is Buddy Oliver. So when you hear Jamie Oliver, you know that he's synonymous with cooking. You can get his books. He's, he's a phenomenal chef. And, and I want to speak a little bit about this young man. And I want to use this as a metaphor for what I feel God's taking us through this morning. And you'll see through the worship that we've gone through, we're singing indescribable, how great is our God. I will praise him through the storm. And you'll hear in that, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And, and the title of this message is My God in My Life. And we've gone through close on two years of probably the hardest two years globally that we have seen. We've seen people suffer. We've seen people uh, pass away, as you know, in our own family. Within the space of four days, we lost three close family members to us. Uh, we've seen people uh, lose their jobs. We've seen businesses close down. And it's been a taxing, taxing two years. It's come with many challenges. And the question that I've got is, where does my health come from? And how do we live through this? Not how do we survive through this, because we haven't been called to survive. We've been called to live. We've been called to thrive, life and life abundantly. But how do we do it when it seems as though everything around us is crumbling? The pressures are overwhelming. The, the jobs are taxing. The, the challenges seem to be welling up. And this morning, as we continue with our series through finding solace in the Psalms, we're going to go through Psalm 121. And Psalm 121 is the passage of Scripture that opens up with this. And, and there's a just a, a recognizing that stuff's not necessarily going according to plan. But how does it start in verse 1? It says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Immediately, the psalm starts off with being in a place where we start to acknowledge the position of God. I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So in this season, there's many people, where's God? Where is he? He's disappeared. This passage of scripture is very clear that God is not sleeping. God is not slumbering. He is very present and he is very invested in our lives, even in the midst of the challenges we're going through. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. 
The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And, and I want to go through three points, and I'm trying to keep the message fairly short because I feel that there needs to be a, a time of just entering into the presence of God after this and allowing ourselves just to enjoy His presence and spend time with the Maker of heaven and earth. But my first point is we need a revelation. If we're going to know that our help comes from God, we need a revelation. And the revelation, first and foremost, is His majesty. The bigness and power of this God that is all-knowing, ever-powerful, ever-present. The bigness of God. In Genesis, he says, he spoke light. Let there be light. And there was light. He spoke the world into, into existence. By the uttering of his lips, there was this incredible, overwhelming creation. And I want to read through a passage of scripture. And a lot of what we listen to in that indescribable song comes from this. And if we're looking through Job 38, now to give you some context, you know the story of Job, his life was completely destroyed by the enemy, and he's having this encounter and this discussion with God, and he starts to vent a little bit. And God starts to bring perspective to Job. What is he doing is he's starting to bring a revelation of his bigness, of his majesty, in Job's life. And it starts off with this. And I'm going to read through most of 38, but I'm not going to go through everything. I'll just highlight a couple of points. But he says to Job, this is God speaking to Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Referring to the equator. Amazing, eh? How the Bible speaks about some of these things. On what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors, when it burst out forth from the womb? When I made clouds as garments, and thick darkness as swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far you shall come, and no further, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. So who was it that took this expanse of ocean and laid boundaries that even the waves, they start to come and they're consistent in coming. But he says you can go this far and no further. Have you commanded the morning since your days began? We take for granted the sun comes up and the sun goes down. We see the moon in the sky and we just take for granted. And here the word saying that every morning God commands the sun since our days have begun. Its very presence is spoken by our Creator. Verse 16 says, Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Now, interesting little uh, bit of information here. If you look at in the Marina Trench, which is the deepest part of the ocean that we've discovered, the water pressure at the bottom of the trench is a crushing eight tons per square inch. Or about a thousand times the standard atmospheric pressure at sea level. And here God says, have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? It's such a flippant statement. It's such a kind of so casual. Have you walked in the recesses of the deep? When we look at it equating to 8,000 tons per square, square inch, 
You look at the pressure. We cannot survive in the recesses of the deep. And God's saying, but have you walked there? Just this kind of casual, casual uh, question that he poses to, to Job. Verse 31, can you bind the chains of Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season? This is the, the constellations. Can you lead them forth in their season? Do you know the ordinances of heaven? Can you establish their rule on earth? God starts speaking to Job and he starts to speak of these big things that are happening. This speaks about the storehouses with snow. It speaks about the storehouses of hail. We were speaking about hail earlier. And it speaks about this. Have you entered the storehouses of snow or have you seen the storehouses of the hail? God's speaking about his majesty. And then if you go to chapter 40, verse 3, as God kind of brings this to a close, then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. Basically what he's saying is, Behold, Lord, you are big and you are majestic. Up until that point, Job had been looking at himself in his circumstances. He now started to see God in his circumstances, and he started to become smaller. I often say of the story of David and Goliath, it was an unfair fight. Because the moment Goliath started to take on God, there was no way he could win because of the bigness of God in comparison to the smallness of the man. The battle wasn't between David and Goliath. We often look at it and say, but David took on a giant. No, a giant tried to take on God and he didn't stand a chance. When we position our perspective into the bigness and the majesty of God, all of a sudden we can look at our challenges, we can look at the things we are going through, and we start to see a different perspective. We often see, I had a picture years ago of God taking my problems, and he takes it up to heaven with him. And as I stand, I see them disappear, and through the perspective, they get smaller and smaller and smaller. And in the midst of his hands, they are microscopic. And I look at them and say, they're not that big. Here, Lord, let me take them back because I think I can deal with them. They look so small in your hands. And then you bring them back, and they're overwhelming. Because in the bigness of God, in, in God's hands, the bigness of it, these things look so small and insignificant. In Job 42, verse 1 to 2, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. So in order for us to accept the revelation and the, the help from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth, we need to have a revelation that he is big and he is good. The term God of angel armies kept coming up so much in, in my thinking over the last week. We serve the God of angel armies. He has armies that are ready and waiting. And it's just, he, he speaks and they respond. But the bigness of God is nothing for us if we have not a revelation of the love of God. In 1 John 4 verse 7 to 8, he said, Beloved, let us love one another for the love of for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 
So if we love, a byproduct of that is actually a byproduct of the revelation of who God is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And love your neighbor as you love yourself, and the two cannot be separated. Why? Because if we have a love of the Father, and we accept the revelation of Him, and we love Him, we cannot help but love our neighbors, and we cannot help but love ourselves. So there's this byproduct of that relationship. And here it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves, true love, whoever loves, has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So, We've got the revelation of the bigness of God, but then we've got the revelation of the love of God. And what does this lead us to? Is It leads us to identity. How many of you believe that Jamie Oliver is a phenomenal chef? I do. Incredible chef. I have a revelation of how good he is as a chef. That little buddy has a revelation, not only of Jamie Oliver as chef, but Jamie Oliver is dead. Hence, Jamie Oliver posts videos of Buddy on Instagram cooking because of the revelation that he has of his identity and the revelation he has of his father's ability. So in Galatians 4, verse 4 to 7, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons, so that we might receive adoption as sons, and because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. And, and I think the reason the Bible often doesn't make distinction between sons and daughters is when we become co-heirs with Christ, as you see in Romans 8, the firstborn son was the identity that reaped the inheritance in the word. So Jesus doesn't just give us a birthright, he gives us of his birthright. The identity that we actually get to walk in is that of firstborn son. Because he shares his inheritance. We become co-heirs with Christ. Does that make us the same as him? By no means. But what it does mean is that we walk into the presence of the Father with the righteousness of Christ. And it's that that God sees. And he accepts us as he accepts Jesus because he sees Jesus. He doesn't see us. And that's a revelation that we need to have because the, the next point is we need to position ourselves. So it doesn't help having the revelation if you don't have the positioning into the presence of God. And we need the revelation of our identity in God in order to walk with a confidence into his presence. So I often say, if you look at uh, Prince Harry, Prince Harry can walk into uh, the throne room and he can walk up to his grand and give her a kiss on the head. Why? Because he's royalty. He's got access to the throne room with confidence. But the, the servant inside the palace doesn't have access to the throne room, can't walk in with confidence, can't just go sit on the throne and say, hey, how's it going? What's happening? There's a, a, a confidence that we get through our identity. So Hebrews 10 verse 19 to 22 says, 
Therefore, brothers, since we have a confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, so since we have a confidence to enter through the righteousness of Christ that's been bestowed upon us, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It's not our righteousness that allows us to enter the presence of God. It's the righteousness of Christ that gives us the confidence to enter the presence of God. So we need this revelation because my revelation of Jamie Oliver gives me no access to him. I can think he's the best chef, but he's not going to be standing here with me saying, Nick, this is how you, how you cook this, how you do it. I, yeah, I can read a book about him, but I don't know him. I've got no relationship with him. I have a revelation of him. And there's many people that walk around with a revelation of God, and even sometimes they walk around with a revelation of God as a father. But do they walk around with the revelation of God as my father, my God? My father, little buddy, he looks at his dad and he says, my dad's an incredible chef. So what does he do? He stands in the presence of his dad and he watches what he does. How did he learn to cook? I'm telling you now, he didn't learn from another chef on how to cook. He learned from his dad because that's who his dad is. His dad's the great, one of the greatest chefs. So he stands and he positions himself in a place where he gets to become like his father. So we need a revelation, we need to position ourselves. And then the third thing is we need a response. And our response has to come from a place of authority. And our response is that we ask. Why from a place of authority? Because we've got the revelation that we have the confidence to enter the throne room by the righteousness of Christ and we get the authority of, of Christ. So therefore we get to speak from a place of authority. You listen to this little guy as he does his video, and he speaks with authority. He knows what he's talking about. Why? Because his dad has spoken into his life. He's become like his dad. His techniques, his terminology, it sounds like you're listening to his dad. Because he does what he sees his father doing. So... Uh, Emmanuel shared out of Philippians 4, verse 4 to 7 uh, last week, and he was speaking about the fact that um, when the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And he spoke about the guarding of our hearts, the significance of that. And I want to go through that little passage of Scripture. And just from verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Listen to that song, I'll praise you in the storm. Rejoice in the Lord always. Not when things are going well, not when Job is in a place of fruitfulness, but even in the place where things are disappearing, where life is tough, even in the midst of COVID, in the challenges that we're going through, in the heartache that we're facing, in the loss of our loved ones, says rejoice in the Lord always. Now rejoice is the verb of joy. It's the doing word of joy. So basically where it says rejoice, it's be full of joy. It's that the joy in action is rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. There's a command to us. It says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And here's where it gets interesting for me. It says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, petition, 
and supplication, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The Lord is at hand. When we have a revelation of the bigness of God, when we have a revelation of our identity in the midst of the bigness of God and the love that He has for us, and when we position ourselves in His presence, when He says, I am at hand, we know that stuff's about to happen. We know that the bigness of the challenges we face, the giants in our lives are insignificant in comparison to what, what God's about to do. And out of that place, it says, do not be anxious about anything. So there's nothing that we need to be anxious about because the Lord is at hand. But in everything, by prayer, petition, and thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we're in a place now where we get to recognize the revelation of God, the bigness of God, how small we are, how big He is, but then we have this identity that comes into His presence. We walk in with a confidence and we say, but Lord, if you're at hand, what do we have to worry about? There's nothing we need to be anxious about. So a little buddy, he has a revelation of his dad. He positions himself in the presence of his dad. And he responds by being like his dad. He has a choice whether or not he wants to be in the kitchen and watch what his dad does. He could choose not to and say, Dad, while you're cooking, I want to be outside. But he responded to actually say, Dad, I want you to teach me how to cook. I want to know what you know. I want to do what you do. I want to learn from you. And out of that place, I want to become like you. So how do we do this? How do we respond? Well, firstly, we look at Matthew 6 from verse 6. And this is Jesus speaking about how to pray. And he says, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door and pray to your father. Who is in secret. He doesn't say pray to my father. He immediately starts to bestow identity upon the people and he says, you go pray to your father. That's not speaking about our earthly father, but he's saying, you go pray to the father. Your father is my father and my father is your father. So there's this identity again that's, that's encouraged. And he says, who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up em empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So He says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. So the first words He does is He acknowledges who God is and He acknowledges who He is. Our Father, or my Father, so He's saying, Lord, I know who you are in heaven, and I know who I am as your child. He positions himself in his identity before he asks of anything. And we need to do the same. The following chapter, Matthew 7 from verse 7, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him, give him a serpent? If you, then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more 
will the Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So I just felt for this morning, we need to be a people who have a revelation of the bigness, the majesty, the power, the might of who God is. His omnipotence, his omnipresence, his, uh, the bigness of who God is. And then we need a revelation of our identity to walk into his presence with confidence. We need to position ourselves in his presence. And then we respond. And we respond from a place of authority, which is the righteousness of Christ on that's bestowed upon us. And in that place, we need to ask. And what do we need to ask for? Well, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So when we're going through things and we're saying, I need help, well, let's ask. I'm going through this, well, let's ask. I'm facing this challenge, well, let's ask. So that the maker of heaven and earth can intercede and interject and, and, and invest himself in what's going on. Because the Lord is at hand. So I want to end off with this. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these he will show him so that you may marvel. John 5 verse 19 to 20. So Jesus only does what he sees the Father doing. He positions himself to learn from the Father, like little Buddy, who is a little replica of Jamie Oliver, as he, he presents these things, free from his dad's help. His dad's behind the camera. But you see Jamie in Buddy because he's become like his dad. So we too have the privilege of becoming like the Father. And not only do we ask for the challenges that we're going through, but I want us to to think beyond ourselves, to think into the lives of those around us. How do we position ourselves to speak into the lives of those around us? To bring about the revelation of the Father. When we know this, and we know the bigness of this, and we know that we have access to the throne room of the one who speaks and light comes out, of the one who can walk in the depths of the ocean because he's spoken into being, where we, it is impossible for us to survive there. The one who knows the storehouses of snow and knows the storehouses of hail. The one who commands the proud waves to say this far and no further. The one who has commanded the sun to come up every morning. And the one who calls us and says, my son, my daughter. Same God. We need to position ourselves in a place where we start to present that revelation into the lives of people. So I want to take a moment. And I want to go through and I want to listen to some of these songs again. And in that place, I want us to present our request to God. I want us to ask him to remove any anxiety because we recognize, Lord, you are at hand. This last week, I've been going through things where I, have my, I feel like my, my faith is on a roller coaster, where I have my highs and my lows. I have my moments of, yes, we can do this, and my moments of sheer panic. And I've realized that my moments of sheer panic come when I look at my circumstance. My moment of faith comes when I look at God. I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? Not I look... Look at, at my circumstances. Oh my word, I need help. It's I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? We lift our perspective. We lift our gaze to the bigness of God. And my faith when I'm looking at the bigness of God is high. But my fear 
when I'm looking at the midst of my circumstances is high. So this pendulum swings like this here. And I just feel this morning we need to position ourselves in a place through this revelation that we can respond in faith because we know the God that holds all of this in His hands. Amen. So Lord Jesus, as we just come into this time of worship now, may we enter your throne room with confidence, Lord. There's stuff we need to repent of, may we repent of it, Lord. If there's stuff that we've done wrong, may we, may we deal with that, Father. But may there be no condemnation that wants to hinder us from your presence because it's not our righteousness that gives us the confidence, it's yours, Lord Jesus. And you don't do things wrong. You are not a, a sinful man. So therefore, our confidence should never be wavering because your righteousness is never wavering. And Father, I just pray today, Lord, that we will have a revelation of the bigness of who you are. And I pray, Lord, that as we lift up our voices now, as we ask our Father who is in heaven, Lord, I pray that you will just interject into what we're going through. That your bigness will cover it. The stuff that we have to go through, may you strengthen us and may you give us a supernatural capacity. And Lord, even as we stand here this morning, Father, I pray that you will place people on our hearts that we will lift up in prayer. Just even while we're worshipping. I pray that you will place names upon us. Those who are saved and those who are unsaved. Those who are going through good things, those who are going through bad things, Lord. But those, just let us lift them up, Father, that they too may be encouraged and lifted up today. And Lord, I pray against a survivalist mentality in us. But I pray that we will be a people who thrive in all circumstances, who rejoice in all times. Because of the privilege it is to be called a son and daughter in your house. Thank you, King, for who you are and what you're busy with. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.